Hello and welcome to the Little Heart Warrior podcast. Today we talk to Hannah, who shares her daughter Imogen's story. Imogen was diagnosed with coarctation of the aorta, hypoplastic left ventricle, ischemic valve and hypoplastic aortic arch. As a result of surgery, Imogen also experienced diaphragm palsy and vocal cord palsy. Had quite an emotional chat with Hannah, um, who shares her experience so candidly. I hope you enjoy the episode. So hello Hannah, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Um, I've been really excited to talk to you because um, Imogen, um, who's now one, so when did she turn one? She turned one uh, on Saturday. Um, oh, well actually she turned one on Sunday, um, but that was the cup final. <laughs> we thought yeah. that she'd probably have her birthday party uh, on the Saturday um, just in case. Um, so yeah, just turned one. Oh, well, congratulations. Happy birthday to Imogen. Um, I really wanted to speak to you. I'm really excited to get you on because I really wanted to speak to um, somebody else who had the same condition as Maisie, which is co-optation of the aorta. And I know both of them have different things alongside that. Um, but what I'm really interested to talk to you about sort of Imogen's journey so far, uh, what pregnancy was like, what, what um, hospital was like thereafter. Um, and also, of course, she was born during COVID. So um, similar to Maisie so I'd be really interested to talk more about that and what the impact that that had in on your hospital visits on labour and you know all of the things that come with Covid and having a baby in Covid because if she was a July baby at that time we were still in lockdown? We were just coming out of lockdown um, okay. as she was born but obviously um, the hospital was still in you know fairly um, strict Covid measures um, and then we were in hospital for around six weeks um, in total and we came out we had a little bit of time out of lockdown and then went back into lockdown <laughs> you know in and out um, yes yeah. as, as 2020 um was so um yeah you know um all of my pretty much all of my um latter stages of pregnancy were spent in lockdown um, as was the first part of um our journey um when she was born yeah okay um so shall we start from the beginning so when you found out you were pregnant and Imogen's your first is she yes yeah Yeah. so first time um we've been trying for a while um and um we were starting to go down the IVF route um I still remember watching a documentary on IVF and um they were kind of pre-warning just how difficult that process was and feeling really upset and then I woke up the next morning I was still feeling quite upset and and my stomach was feeling quite dodgy something like I think I think I might I might might just need to check and yeah found out that we were we were pregnant um uh this was a week after I started a new job (laughs) so (laughs) not perfect timing um but we were very pleased and, and very excited um, so that was November uh, 2019 um, and, and then, then oh sorry yes I was just going to say so and then you had your 12 week scan as usual and then your 20 week scan well we actually had a little bit of a scare before that um so at wait eight weeks I had some bleeding um I went into the early pregnancy unit um 
and they did a scan and um, uh, you know I could see um, the heartbeat um, so yeah that that was a bit of a scare and then we had the 12-week scan where everything went perfectly you know we had um, a really good scan and you know you come out of it and I kind of felt oh, okay we're kind of on the the kind of <laughs> right track now I suppose um, and then it came to the 20-week scan um, I'd been feeling absolutely fine I was quite lucky I had a, a fairly normal pregnancy I had a bit of morning nausea but nothing dramatic um, so I just kind of assumed the 20-week scan would be absolutely fine. Um, you know, I have friends who've had babies. I've had my sister who's had three children. My mum's had three children. There's no history of heart um, issues in the family. Um, so I, I wasn't really too worried um, about the heart. Um, I was a little bit worried about, um, you know, anything else. Um, but everything else had been going according to plan, you know, the um, blood tests had come back low risk. Um, so yeah, um, felt fairly okay coming into the 20 week scan. Um, COVID had just started to kind of take over things a little bit, um, but my husband was able to come into the 20 week scan, which um, in hindsight, um, I am so grateful for because, um, you know, if I'd had to hear that news by myself, um, I think I would have really, really struggled. Um, so yeah, 20 week scan, February, 2020. Um, so uh, in terms of the scan itself, um, we went in and um, you were feeling kind of like, like cocky in a way, kind of like you don't want to talk about you, you, we were, we were very kind of like, oh, we, you know, we don't want to know gender, you know, we, we, we want to keep it a surprise, and, and that was our kind of main <laughs> thought that we were talking to the sonographer about, um, and then it just started to get quite quiet, um, and, um, you know, we were, I was sent out to go for a walk, I was sent out to go and get a drink of water, um, and um, they were just saying that they couldn't see everything that they needed to see. Um, so they've been trying for quite a while by that point and then they turned around and said to me and said okay um, we are going to ask you to come back tomorrow because we need to see four views of the heart and we've only seen three um, so far um, and so we've booked you in to see um, a specialist sonographer tomorrow Miss Reddy at Stoke Mandeville um, so we went away and there was just that feeling in the pit of my stomach of this doesn't this doesn't seem right um came back the next day walked into a room and miss reddy and about four or five midwives were around and I was like, <laughs> this seems like a lot of people um and it, you know the 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 scan was done in in relative silence and um I just remember her saying as she was kind of clearing the jelly off um let's let's get you off the bed and we'll talk about what I can and can't see <laughs> my, my, my immediate reaction was oh god you know what can't you see um yeah and I burst into tears before she'd even had a chance to, to talk to me about anything really um uh, and it was all a bit of a, a blur um so um, she, she didn't try and give me a diagnosis there and then. She just said that 
it looked asymmetric, it looked too small, um, and that I would need to go to the fetal medicine unit at John Radcliffe um, Hospital. Um, and I remember it being fairly late in the week, and they were talking about it, um, you know, potentially being the following week. <laughs> It's just I can't I can't wait that long I, I really yeah absolutely I can't, um, I can't wait that long um and was just absolutely desperate um to be seen as quickly as possible and the midwives that started at Stoke were all brilliant and they they did manage to get me an appointment at um, John Radcliffe the next day um uh so we went along to John Radcliffe and again my husband was able to be there um which again very grateful for um and you have the scan again it's done in complete silence um you, know, you can hear them whispering to each other and or making you know, medical terms that you know you don't have any clue what, what that means um and then we were taken into a little room <laughs> again this doesn't sound good um and uh, mr black the consultant cardio uh, uh, cardiologist there and did an excellent drawing of the heart. Um, he's well known for his drawings. And if you show the drawings to anybody, they're like, oh, that's a Mr. Black drawing. Um, and it, they gave us a provisional diagnosis. Um, but they said, uh, this is provisional because at the moment the baby's heart is the size of a walnut and we just need to wait for the baby's heart to grow um, before we can confirm the diagnosis. Um, uh, so what was their so, provisional diagnosis? So the, the provisional diagnosis was coarsation of the aorta um, and a hyperplastic aortic arch um, alongside a hyperplastic left ventricle. Um, hyperplastic basically just means small and the coarsation essentially means blocked. Um, so half her heart was a little bit too small um, and the um, arch at the top um, was, was, was more blocked um, than it would be normally. Um, so I didn't have a clue about any of that. <laughs> I was trying to rack my brains and remember the biology lessons from school, um, but it wasn't really sinking in. Um, and um, yeah, I had, thankfully I had the diagram of the heart and he'd written down the terms on the piece of paper. And um, after we left, you know, did some frantic Googling, which probably in retrospect was not a good idea. Um, mm but um you know it just gave us a little bit more information um i think um we went to the british heart foundation pages and they had some um information on there um as well which um was really helpful um so yeah it was it was a lot of information to take in all at once um and a real shock um just you know i'd never come across with anybody with a heart condition before um or the people that you know i'd i'd had come into contact with were people you know who'd had heart attacks and you know were um you know my, my father-in-law's had a, a bypass surgery so I'd kind of thought about them being in the old generation not not babies um so yeah real shock um, and so what was the rest of your pregnancy like from there those next 20 weeks I mean how did you I mean I suppose at the, at the beginning you had a provisional diagnosis which is the same as us in terms of Maisie's co-optation they said we think it's this it might not be don't worry about it that's what we got told at our 20 week scan and then we had a scan again at 32 weeks and they said 
oh, oh with with Dr. Black actually. Um, and he said, oh no, we I think this is it, but we won't be able to confirm it until she's born and we can look at her heart directly instead of through you. Um, that 70% chance of surgery was what we had heard. So what, what happened thereafter? Did you have more scans? Um, what was it like? Yeah. And how did you and your partner get your head around that information that you'd been told? Did you have any coping mechanisms that you used? Yes. So um, it wasn't easy. <laughs> so um, we, the, the initial diagnosis, they, they were they were relatively confident about, um, but um, they said uh, that you know it needs we need to wait for baby's heart to grow. There are some um, genetic um, conditions that are linked to her types of heart condition. So we had to undergo further tests, or I mean, we chose to undergo further tests. So we did have further blood tests um, to rule out um, various different disorders. Thankfully, those all came back um, uh, negative. And then um, I also had uh, an amniocentesis, um, uh, which um, was really hard. Um, mm. Again, my husband was allowed in, which I was very grateful for. Um, he watched the whole thing. I couldn't watch. Um, I, I couldn't even see, I couldn't even look at the, um, the needle going into my stomach. Um, I almost didn't want to look at the baby um, because um, there was that thought of what if, um, you know, what if it shows that it's a worse condition um, and, you know, you, you've fallen in love with your baby by that point. Um, so uh, I still remember healthcare assistant um, standing and holding my ankle all the way through and just stroking me basically, which sounds really weird. Um, but she could tell that I was upset and, and it really meant something to have someone you know, do that. Um, as it was, it was Mr. Impey and um, a colleague who was doing the amnio and the, the colleague was a junior and who was being instructed through it and that, that was actually quite helpful because they were quite technical about it they were you know it was very much about you know where the needle was positioned and and um, and all the rest of it so um uh, so we got through that um and um, thankfully it all came back clear we had further scans um but by this point um covid had really um ramped up um and my husband wasn't allowed into the further um scans that we had so he would sit in the car park um waiting and i would be upstairs um and going into the the scans alone um i think we had a, uh, a heart scan uh, around 32 weeks and uh, the cardiologist um, you know I wiped the jelly off sat up and the first thing the cardiologist said to me was uh, well the baby's heart has got worse um, no kind of, <laughs> kind of sugarcoating it um, and I, I was I was absolutely in floods of tears I was trying to um, video chat with my husband in the car park downstairs Thankfully, a female cardiologist took pity on me and just said, do you, do you want him to come up? Um, and he was allowed up. And really what they were trying to say was the baby's heart condition had, had worsened, but that um, it didn't make any impact to um, what the, the prognosis was. And 
we're still progressing with what we've been told, which would be that it'd be surgery um, and some time in hospital um, afterwards. Um, but, so how long did they say to you you would be in hospital for? Um, they couldn't really tell. Um, a lot of it was, you know, what ifs and dependent on, um, you know, depends on how the birth goes, depends on how she reacts to being um, uh, to the, the medication. It depends on you know, how the surgery goes, um, depends on how she reacts to um, the, the kind of recovery stages, etc. So that that was something that I found really tough. Um, I'm a planner. Yeah, um, I'm, a project, yeah. I'm a project manager by background. Um, so I am very used to um, having tasks, having a to-do list and ticking things off. Um, so, you know, when I was asking things like, you know, how long will I be in hospital? You know, what clothes do I need to bring? You know, what, what where am I going to be? Where's my husband going to be? Um, where's the baby going to be? Um, you know, they couldn't tell me and we couldn't go and you know do tours of ICU I, you know, I don't even know if they do that during normal times but obviously during Covid um, everything was was locked down um, so I found it really um, really stressful and you know it was a lot of oh just you know kind of go with the flow <laughs> I'm not a go with the flow kind of a person um, especially when you know, you know that your baby's not very well um, uh, so yeah I, I really struggled with that um, I didn't so really how, have, how did Sorry, I was just going to say, how did you prepare? Because things like there are certain things, aren't there, that you have to get ready in order to um, in order to go into hospital and have a baby. So the hospital bag, for example. I mean, how did you what did you pack in there? Because, of course, they're similar to myself, like there were restrictions around coming and going off the ward. So you had to pack. We were told 14 days. So we had to pack for 14 days that, you know, um, we didn't know, you know, did the baby need specific baby grows? Did, what did I need? It was so difficult. So how did you plan for that? Not even knowing a time scale. Um, I, I struggled with it, to be honest. Um, I struggled to pack the hospital bag because um, there was a big part of me that felt that it would jinx things um, that, you know it, it's not rational thoughts it's like um you know I felt guilty for ages about buying furniture before the 20 week scan we'd got a good deal in the Black Friday deals and um you know I I remember you know I couldn't I couldn't unpack it um I couldn't build it um for quite quite a long time into the pregnancy because after the diagnosis I just I was having really bad thoughts about her dying. Um, I had you know, either um, you know, miscarrying um, stillbirth or you know, dying during the surgery. So I put things off, um, which is really unusual. You know, like I said, I'm a planner. I like to have a plan. And then suddenly something switched. I think we, we'd got fairly <laughs> fairly late into the pregnancy. I was like, okay, now I now I do need to do things. Um, and um, uh I'd had to have uh, an ECV um because she was breech um, for a long time so an ECV is when they um try and manually turn the baby um uh, uh to put them in the right position um, and they tell you to bring a hospital bag to that um because there is a risk that you'll go into labor and so the night before <laughs> I packed the hospital bag and um you know, we bought, I'd bought bits, I'd bought bits for the baby um, and, you know, I tried to find um, baby grows that were, um, 
uh, accessible at the chest. Um, so ones that um, were front opening and I did find some that were which had zips, which I did find quite helpful. But to be honest, most people were saying she probably won't be wearing much um, for the first couple of weeks. Um, you know, so don't worry too much um, about that. Um, and then I just basically used a generic list that I found online and, and pretty much packed that um, with some extra clothes for me um, uh, to, to kind of change. Um, but yeah, it was it was not an easy time packing the hospital bag. Yeah, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because when I talk to my friends and they're like, you know, what was it like? I, it's such a hard thing to describe that that feeling that you think that they may not make it. Whereas I know every pregnant mom, you know, has this kind of like, well, not every maybe, but I know certainly my first when there was no heart um, heart issues, I had in the back of my mind, oh, what if? But it didn't ever feel like a real reality. But I, I felt mm. like with Maisie particularly, it felt more of a reality than ever. And trying to yeah. get your head around that and coming to terms with it when you're pregnant and just all of that uncertainty at a time when the whole world is uncertain, it's, it's, it's quite mind blowing, really, how how you actually get through that, how resilient you know you have been to be able to get get yourself to pack that hospital bag. It feels like such a milestone, doesn't it? Because it it means yeah. you get 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 reaching those milestones, get pushing yourself forward, and get making this happen, and going through those. You know, you're one step closer to that surgery. You're one step closer to meeting your baby, and um, it's a really it it was a challenging time wasn't it there's any way around that that it is just a it's just a real challenge that I hope I would never certainly have to go through again and I'm sure you're the same no I mean there were some advantages for COVID for me for um you know being able to work from home um Mm -hmm. meant that um you know I was able to take a break from work as and when I needed um you know some of my colleagues didn't even know I was pregnant um because I didn't know what to say <laughs> I didn't know you know to, whether to tell them about the, the baby's heart condition or not um and um you know I could pick and choose who I wanted to tell mostly by standing up (laughs) (laughs) up until a certain point you know you can't can't really tell um and then um you know my husband was at home um as well which meant that you know we got a lot more time together than we would do normally so we had a lot of long long walks because that was the only thing we could do um where I just had the opportunity to um just cry to be honest (laughs) um and talk through you know the what ifs and the unknowns and I was very lucky in that he was he was a lot more confident than than I was um all the way through I think he felt it was quite mechanical as in that you know the heart's the pump of the body and there's an issue with the pump but it will go in we'll get it fixed and she'll be fine um Whereas I just couldn't see it like that. The only time that he had a wobble um, was when we went in for a scan, a growth scan, which um, he couldn't come in for. Um, and it was all fairly routine. All the growth scans up until that point had kind of shown her as being bang on um, track. Um, but someone just turned around to me and said, oh, when there, there's an issue with the brain. Um, and this was 36 weeks into the pregnancy. Um, and no one had mentioned the brain um, up until that point. Um, and that was the time that he had a wobble because, you know, the brain is the 
the personality it's the walking it's the talking it's the communicating it's you know it, it you, you the computer essentially of the body and um i think he really struggled with the thought that that might not be working as effectively um as it was again i had an absolute meltdown um the next day they managed to get me into a fetal medicine unit and she was scanned again um and the the senior um sonographer was like yeah it's bang on average um you know, perfectly within the realms of um, a normal brain scan. Uh, but, you know, you had that 24 hours where, you know, oh, we, already knew that, we already knew that there was something wrong and to have something even worse potentially on top was was just, yeah, really terrifying. Mm, yeah, I bet it was. So moving to the day you met her. So what was <laughs> that like? So you, you were allowed to go into spontaneous labour, presumably. No, okay, so you have to no, be induced? No, yeah, so they, they, all the way through the pregnancy, they were very much saying that um, they wanted me to have a natural labour, um, but they wanted her to be induced um, so that they had people around um, to make sure that she was looked after um, from, you know, from straight away so that she had the prostin um, to keep the duct open, etc, etc. So um, that was quite helpful because it gave me a date to work towards and I don't know why I just assumed, the only I thing you like, could plan oh. you had a date yeah yeah so I was like well it's gonna happen it's gonna happen on that date you know the the thought of her coming early even with the ECV you know when I was packing the hospital bag I still was sitting there going that's not going to happen because my due date my abduction date is not for another couple of weeks um which um after listening to some of your other podcasts I realized that I was really naive um <laughs> So yeah, I went in on the Wednesday. Um, uh, my husband couldn't be there. He had to drop me off at the door um, and um, they did a Foley induction, um, which is the balloon. Um, and uh, I was there for a couple of days, um, which didn't really work. And it just made me more tired because, um, you know, I don't know whether you remember from hospital but you are always having someone coming in so you know cleaning the room asking for your breakfast order delivering the breakfast order picking up the breakfast order you know and then coming in to check on the baby coming to check on me I just didn't get any sleep um I really really struggled and it was boiling hot because it was July um and I just felt really uncomfortable so um uh the and and then it kind of gets, started getting to the point where they were like right okay well we're gonna have to start um uh, taking you into labor um but uh they couldn't give me a time of when that was going to happen so it and it kept slipping so they'd be saying okay well, we're going to take you down at four and then they were going to take me down at eight and then they were going to take me down at 12 <laughs> you know it just it just kept slipping um all the time and I wasn't definitely I wasn't able to get any sleep between those times yeah. because it's, it's going to happen um so they took me downstairs and as soon as they took me downstairs to the labor ward um they said call your husband because um he he was about an hour away and um you know we don't know how quickly it's going to start moving but you know it's probably a good idea for him to come along um they gave me um the drug to induce my labor and they broke my waters um, and then um, we were just waiting, really. Um, then I started contracting um, and it all seemed to be going according to plan. It was going very fast. Um, and they were saying, oh, you're going to make your baby in, uh, in about 15 minutes. I was like, oh, great. Um, 
and then she was stuck so hour and a half later of pushing she hadn't appeared um I was obviously absolutely shattered um and um hadn't eaten anything and was just a bit all over the place so they said right we're gonna have to um use forceps um so gave me uh, the necessary drugs wheeled me down into um theatre introduced me to about 13 people it felt like <laughs> um, um I don't remember any of their names um I was completely out of it and and then she was born um which was which was exciting but also terrifying because you know that moment of not being able to hear them um cry felt like an eternity and my husband um went over to be with her um so I was by myself just desperately kind of waiting to hear that cry um and she cried um and then she was put on my chest because I did say that I wanted um skin to skin um but that lasted for about 20 seconds um and then they had to whisk her off um to ICU um my husband went with her and then I passed out <laughs> yeah understandably <laughs> so, so I don't remember anything else um until I came to in the um recovery unit um my husband came in um, to tell me that we'd had a daughter and, and that she was beautiful and all the rest of it. Um, but um, he was mid telling me that and I just threw up on his arm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Pregnancy, birth, such a delightful, delightful experience. Um, it was just a combination of you know, shock and not sleeping and not eating and, and you know, going through you know, fairly traumatic um, birth. Mm. and yeah just horrendous um and I you know I, I just I felt like I, I wasn't really connected to her because I hadn't had that kind of time with her um and I physically couldn't get up um until about four o'clock the next day so she was born at midnight and then mm. um, by 4 p.m the next day I was starting to feel more with it and then they wheeled me down to um uh ICU or Skaboo they call it in um in John Radcliffe um and uh, I was able to hold her for the first time oh and what was that like amazing amazing um yeah that thought of not being able to connect with her disappeared as soon as I held her um, I was yeah. really lucky in that you know that bond was was instantaneous as soon as I was able to hold her um you know uh, you know, I was really worried about that when when I was pregnant because I had to, to disconnect myself quite a lot from the pregnancy because I just felt like it wasn't going to happen. Um, uh, you know, we weren't going to have a baby at the end of it. Um, and then as soon as I held her, it kind of all came flooding in, um, which I'm really relieved happened because I know it doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah, that's amazing. It's it is a weird pregnancy, isn't it? When you know there's something that's not quite right with the baby is the weirdest pregnancy I can absolutely relate to what you're what you mean um and then so she so how long was she in um picky uh, not picky sorry uh, neonatal for ICU for she was she was in there for six days um in John Radcliffe um 
a scary couple of days at the beginning because I didn't know where I was going to be I was still kind of coming up and down from maternity down to Skaboo and back up again and my husband they'd kind of found a room for him to stay in overnight and then you know we were scrambling for place um for him to stay thankfully Ronald McDonald came through um, and he was able to stay there and then when they discharged me I joined him at um, Ronald McDonald um and she she did fine. She was she was really good. Um, in in uh, uh, Skaboo, she um, you know it's quite odd because obviously a lot of the babies there are premature. Um, so you're seeing these kind of teeny tiny babies, um, and then you know you've got ours who was you know, who looked perfect. Um, she was seven pounds eight, and um, you know looks like a perfectly normal healthy baby. Um, you know, but she's not. Um, so yeah, she um, she did really well there, and then we had to transfer to Southampton um, for the surgery, um, which uh, you know, there was a massive ambulance uh, that turned up. Um, it felt like half the contents of ICU went in with her, um, and uh, doctor, nurse, driver. Um, and then you realise that you, there isn't enough space for you as well. So um, she got drove, driven down separately, um, which is always odd because, you know, it's your, your baby's first car journey and you're not there. Mm. Um, but they were very good. You know, they were very reassuring. They gave us numbers to call if we got concerned. Um, and, you know, they with so much equipment with them, you know, you feel fairly confident but there's still that what if of you know what if something goes wrong um you know am I going to be coming to um see a baby in, in a worse condition at the other end of it um but she was she was absolutely fine um went along um in the ambulance and then um we caught up and we we were in Southampton um we were in ocean ward initially while she was being prepared for her surgery they wanted to get it done as quickly as possible um so we had a couple of days there and then she went in for her surgery at nine days old so what was that like that day when she had to go down i mean so little um going yeah. in for you know a, a, you know a, a life-saving surgery i assume and that surgery presumably was to do the co-optation was it uh, yeah, so it was it was to do both. So it was the hyperplastic aortic arch and coarsation um, right, okay. uh, time. There wasn't really anything that they wanted to do about the hyperplastic left ventricle. It was just a little bit smaller, and they kind of said, "Well, once we've fixed the the coarsation and the, the hyperplastic aortic arch, um, it's likely that it, it won't cause any um, serious issues." Um, so um, we we were able to give her a bath. Um, the night before and um, that was the first time we'd ever given her a bath um, and you know we were fairly clueless you know first time parents you know I hadn't really been around babies before um, so we had, <laughs> had to be shown by the nurses how to do it. Um, Plus you've got all the leads on them as well haven't you which is you know obviously yeah. not yeah so you know obviously disconnecting all of that and then mm. um, having a bath and, and reconnecting everything and you know worrying um, you know and, and all the rest of it um uh so we had we gave her a bath we we went back to ronald mcdonald's house oh no we were we weren't we were in um we were in one of the rooms off ocean ward um 
uh, fairly uncomfortable <laughs> night's sleep. I was up very early the next morning and I was immediately in there um, um, to see her. And I just remember taking lots of photos and videos and just talking to her. Um, because um, I wanted her to hear my voice and I just wanted to have um, some pictures of her uh, before she went into surgery. You okay? You're making yes. me <laughs> um, And then my husband came in and uh, we spent some time with her. And then we both were able to take her down to theatre. Um, so we took her down together. <laughs> I still remember the anaesthetist asking me, um, what was her personality like? <laughs> I was sitting there going, I don't know, she's nine days old. I, I genuinely, I was like, I don't know what to say to that because she's nine, she's nine days old. Um, of that, um, one day was spent traveling, one day I was recovering from surgery. She was a bit jaundiced when she was born and the prostin makes her sleepy um, as well. So we hadn't actually had that much time, you know, interacting with her. She was just sleeping on my chest um, most of the time, you know, when, when I could. Um, and then obviously sleeping in the ICU with all the leads attached to her. So I didn't know what to say. Um, so inquisitive. <laughs> and looked around you know what what do you say to that um now I could list you know all kinds of things about her and, and she's developed a lovely little personality but at nine days old she, she didn't have anything and well, they don't I, you know they just sleep no especially on prostin I was like you know what was I what was I supposed to say am I a bad mother for not you know not knowing you know what my daughter's like um so um we said goodbye to her and they took her into surgery and it was Mr Khan that was and his team that was doing surgery um and um uh, we went downstairs um we went to um uh went to Costa Coffee um had some coffee um and then we actually came back up onto Ocean Ward and we slept which I know sounds really bizarre because everyone you know how can you sleep at a time like that but the night before, we were in the tiny little waiting room off the kitchen, um, and that um, pull-out sofa was turned into a bed for us. And I'm nearly six foot; my husband's six foot two. Um, we just didn't, we couldn't sleep. Um, I think partly uncomfortable, partly worrying about the surgery. So while she was in surgery, we did actually manage to have a nap. Um, yeah. uh, and then we were we were just waiting and talking to talking to family and um, uh, and then a head pokes around the door and, and says she's okay she's got through the surgery um, uh, we're bringing her up from sedation now and you'll be able to go and see her um, which was amazing um, and how, so how long did the surgery take about six hours um, in total. Um, uh, kind of with the it's about an hour to kind of get her under sedation and an hour to bring her back up so we found out after about five hours that that she'd made it through and everything had been had gone according to the plan and it, and it, before when they were talking about the surgery that she was having at such a young age were they quite 
did they seem quite confident that this was going to be a successful surgery? What were the, did they give you some, I mean, we had stats with ours of, you know, um, with a co, I mean, she just had a co-octation repair, but she was small, so she was 5'15", so she was a lot smaller than Imogen. Um, but they said, you know, it's less than 1% of anything serious happening. And did they give you that kind of information as well? They didn't necessarily give it to me. Um, prior to the surgery, you know, when I was still pregnant, um, they had talked about it, you know, being a fairly standard um, surgery and, um, you know, um, not to be overly worried about it. They do it all the time. Um, I think my, when when she was actually in ICU, um, they tended to talk to my husband more because I was just with Imogen um, the whole time. I didn't really want to, to um, go anywhere and he was the one who um, signed the paperwork for the surgery. Um, he was the one who talked to Mr. Khan. Doesn't have a great bedside manner, but my husband came away feeling, you know, confident. You know, he I think they use the term bread and butter, um, which mm. it doesn't feel like that when it's your baby's heart. Um, but it is reassuring to know that, you know, that's how they felt about the surgery, even if that's not how we felt about the surgery. So, mm. um, you know, I, I think... Um, you know, they, they were probably a lot more confident than we were, but that's because you know, they know what they're doing, <laughs> which yeah. is very reassuring. Yeah, absolutely. And then so after surgery, so you had a couple of setbacks, didn't you, after? So you saw her in PICU. How long was she in PICU for? So she was in PICU for 10 days in total. Um, so the first uh, day and a half went really well um, she was taken off the ventilator and she was taken off um, you know they started reducing the medication they started um, reducing um, taking off morphine etc etc it, it all sounded really good um, we were able to have a cuddle um, obviously with all of the leads and everything attached um, and then it started to um, go a little bit wrong um, because they said does she always arch her back like that? And again, I felt like the worst mother in the world because I was like, I don't know. She's by this point, 11 days old. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but it started to become more and more pronounced. Um, she was really kind of arching her neck back um, and they didn't know the reason why. So they had to put her back on the ventilator um, and, um, uh, try and investigate what the reason um, for this setback was. I mean, they did warn us that that could happen, you know, that you get a bit of a honeymoon period and then sometimes, you know, things, things can go a bit wrong. Um, but they did an MRI um, scan, they did a CT scan, um, which meant that she had to be taken out of ICU to go and go and have the scan done, which means that they had about six people around her crib um, as it was being wheeled out and they had a temp she had was on a temporary um, pacemaker she was uh, she had all of the kind of stuff attached to her and it was fairly fairly serious um, and it takes quite a while to do the scan um, and then they came back and they couldn't find anything um, they said that there was a slight bleed on the brain but that was probably more realistically from the forceps and um, from her delivery um, and it wasn't something that they were overly concerned about um, they thought it could be um, a bit of reflux um, uh, they thought it could just be how she reacts to pain um, which was hard because obviously you don't want to think of them being in pain. Um, um, but they never really 
they never really got to the bottom of it um, and we were really lucky um you know she kind of turned a corner herself and started to come back down again so you know they started taking her off the ventilator they started weaning um, the amount of oxygen that she was on they started taking off the the medication etc cetera, etc cetera. and and then she was you know they they discharged her to to ocean wards so we never got to the bottom of what the setback was um but they 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 don't seem to be worried about it um and it doesn't seem to have caused any further issues thank goodness mm. and then so you went back up into the ward and did you have um a diaphragm issue was that the yeah. surgery yeah so they, they they mentioned it as part of the, the risk of complications um on the paperwork when we signed her in for the initial surgery um, but the first complication and risk is the risk of death so in comparison mm. to everything else I, was like, I wasn't really um too concerned um but they said basically they've nicked uh, uh, the diaphragmatic nerve, which meant that one half of the diaphragm was was further up than it should be. They didn't seem concerned about it. They just wanted to keep an eye on it. And they didn't seem to think it would cause an issue in terms of discharging her. Um, so I was trying to um, breastfeed and um, uh, that was the kind of main thing to concentrate on before she could get discharged because they wanted to see her put weight on. Um, we, um, it was it was just really hard trying to breastfeed in, in the circumstances. She was still drowsy from um, surgery. Um, the nurses on um, Ocean Ward were fantastic, but they're not professionally trained breastfeeding um, advisors, the breastfeeding group over at St. Mary's, the adjacent hospital um, wasn't running because of COVID. Um, so it kind of seemed to be going okay. Um, and then they suggested moving to John Radcliffe, um, which is the, the hospital where she was born and it's closer to home, which we thought, oh, okay, yeah, no, that sounds, sounds like a good idea. Um, in retrospect, it was, it was a bit of a disaster. Um, the nurses there were not supportive um they didn't they just wanted her to put on weight so that they could have the bed back basically um they put her on formula without talking to me um my husband couldn't visit because of covid um i was on a ward that was really noisy um and i was basically sleeping on a cot bed outside a nurse's station um and because the other thing that had gone wrong with the surgery was that her vocal cords were connected to the diaphragm, which meant that she had a very weak cry. I would go to the toilet and I'd come back and she'd be screaming, but no one could hear her um, and no one was paying attention to her. Um, and I just felt like the nurses, it felt like the nurses were against me, um, whereas I didn't feel like that in um, Southampton. Um, by that point, my mental health was completely shot um, and I lost all confidence in breastfeeding and result was a complete loss in my supply. And I just said, I want to get out of here. I can't, I can't be here anymore. Um, so put her on formula to get out. Um, but because before then I'd been trying to breastfeed, trying to feed by formula, I didn't know what I was doing. And there's not a lot of information out there because obviously the promotion is breast is best. And, and I do believe that. And I was very upset that I felt that I'd failed, um, uh, you know, failed a sick baby by not um, by not breastfeeding. 
Um, so things weren't going according to plan. We'd, we'd got home and she wasn't feeding properly. You know, I, I, but I, I thought it was me. I thought it was something that I was doing with the bottles, with the formula. I didn't, I, I, I know it sounds really stupid, but I didn't think, oh, she's sick. I, I genuinely, because everyone had told me, you know, she's all good, she's fixed. Um, I, I genuinely thought it was me. Um, so one week, the, the first week that we were back, my in-laws were coming over um, to see her for the first time. I'm just worried about this. And Georgie, the cardiac liaison nurse at John Radcliffe, just happened to call and she was asking me how things were going. And I was saying, yeah, I don't think things are right. But my husband said, the health visitor's coming on Monday, you know, talk to them about it. Um, because neither of us have had looked after a newborn baby before. And, you know, we hadn't really cottoned on the whole, you know, if something's wrong, you need to sort it out immediately. Um, we, we just were a bit naive. Um, and I thank God every day that um, Georgie called us um, because she called me back within an hour um, and said, I think, I think you should just take her into Stoke Mandeville. Um, so I went in with her. Um, this is about 15 minutes after my in-laws arrived and I had to say, I'm really sorry, I'm going to take her into hospital. Um, so that was, that was the full extent of their first um, experience with their granddaughter. Um, my husband dropped me off at hospital because he couldn't come in and took her into um, A&E and within about two minutes um, she was really pale and really floppy um, and you had about 10 people around her taking clothes off and putting lines in her and um, uh, asking me questions and, and you know trying to um, sort out what the issue was um, and basically what had happened was that she wasn't feeding properly because of the diaphragm so the diaphragm was um, pushing up on her lung which meant it was hard for her to breathe and because it was hard for her to breathe it was hard for her to swallow when she was trying to um, feed um, so yeah she um, uh, you know it was, it was terrifying um, we were there for a couple of days and then they decided right we'll transfer back to Southampton and we will do a surgery to pin the diaphragm in place so that happened when she was 20 days old um, uh, so where did they so how, how did that work then so Maisie had the same thing but they didn't nick a nerve of her diaphragm her diaphragm was just paralyzed um and and because she was um she had to have a feeding tube when she left hospital so um she wasn't um able to take any anything orally yeah and they they thought the same as what Imogen had which is a, maybe something with the vocal cord it ended up the diaphragm sorted itself out and um, after her second surgery she ended up feeding fine but did um so after so what did the surgery of of pin it and they said to us at the time we might have to pin down the diaphragm if it doesn't sort of sort itself out so what did that entail that surgery essentially just that it was just um pinning the diaphragm in place so it was a lot quicker surgery um, than her heart surgery you know i just was it was it, it like keyhole or they had to go so back in they they had to go back in but they didn't go in through the um uh through the chest they went in through her side um and so she's got two scars she's got a scar down the chest and a, and a smaller one on the side 
Um, but it was, I think, I think it was keyhole. It was a lot more, um, it was a lot quicker surgery. Um, she was, it felt like she was in and out <laughs> in comparison to her heart surgery. Um, and um, she had a day on ICU and then was moved upstairs. So my, my head was kind of, I was, <laughs> I was kind of um, spinning all over the place because I was, I'd, I'd kind of treated it as seriously as her, her heart operation. And they were just like, no, no, it's, it, you know, it's, it's a fairly standard one. The cardiologist um, that she's seen subsequently was like, they probably should have done it at the same time when, you know, when she was originally in Southampton, when they realized um, that they, they, they had this issue with the diaphragm. But like with some babies, like with Maisie, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't cause any issues. And I think they thought, well, she's already had one major surgery. Let's just see, see what happens. Um, because, um, you know, if you can avoid surgery at all, then, then obviously um, that would be the preference. And it's always easy to say it in hindsight. Um, I'm, I'm just grateful that it was spotted and um, the surgery was successful. Um, and ever since, um, you know, she's been doing really well and we haven't been back in um, for anything related to, to either of those um, issues, which is which is amazing. And that's amazing. So is she, is she now on then monitoring? Is it, does she have anything coming up? Because obviously they didn't do the height was it the hyperplastic left ventricle they didn't do anything with so what's yeah there are actually two things that they didn't do anything with one the condition they found out after she was born so a bit like you were saying um it's easier to scan once they're out and they did find another condition and um, a bicuspid aortic valve um but um they decided not to do anything with that because there were people in their 80s who have that um, condition you know it's just a fluke and it's not causing any issues the hyperplastic left ventricle there's nothing really that they can do about that they just want to see whether it gets bigger um, now that the coarsation and the, the the aortic arch have been fixed and we've been really really lucky um, you know she was on captopril for until february um, so actually the anniversary of the 20 week scan was was I was I was dreading it because um, it was such a difficult day, um, and even though you know I have a happy and healthy baby, I I just was really dreading the, the the anniversary for some reason. And on the day of the anniversary, we found out that she no longer needs to be on any form of medication. Oh, amazing! Um, so she's she's no longer on any form of medication. She is um, uh, uh, being monitored now every six months it was every um, three months when we uh, every month and then very quickly dropped to every three months as soon as basically as soon as we saw the cardiologist after her um after her surgeries and you know we're hopeful that that will drop further you know to potentially being every year um which would just be incredible um in terms of the um, vocal cord palsy, that has caused us some issues in terms of weaning and um, so I've had to be very careful um in increasing the, the lumpage of her food um, but she loves the food she's now 91st percentile um, you know which she was on the eighth percentile when she had her surgery so um, you know she's really bounced back um, loves food um, and you know the, the side effect from the vocal cord is that she has a slightly weaker cry which of all the, of all the side effects when you've got a baby um, having a slightly weaker cry actually worked in our favor somewhat um yeah but you know it hasn't it hasn't impacted her 
Um, as far as we can tell, her speech and language, you know, she's starting to communicate, she's starting to make words. Um, and, you know, they've said that she's probably not likely to be an opera singer, um, but it shouldn't hold her back from you know, anything else, which is which is incredible. Amazing. So the, the chances are is that she'll, there's not any other upcoming surgeries that they're expecting for her or... They said that there's a, a possibility that she might need further surgery in her teenage years. It depends on how the heart grows. Um, and if they did have to do a further surgery, that would be likely to be the only further surgery required. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we just have to cross that bridge when we get to it, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, so how's she doing now? It sounds like she's doing amazing. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Um, I've been, you know, we've been so lucky. Um, she's definitely inherited my husband's personality. She is really happy, bubbly, and just incredibly laid back. Which I think I um, said to her when she when I was pregnant. I was like, "You'd better, you'd better be the best baby. I'm sure you putting us through." And she has, you know, we've, you know, she. Um, she could have been sleeping through the night at probably about four months old. Um, I was still very cautious and was still waking her up to feed um, because, you know, I was I was just paranoid about her feeding and about her um, putting on weight. Um, but she's been sleeping through the night since she was six months old. Um, you know, she is she enjoys her food. Um, she's starting to play and she started nursery this week. Um, and, you know, it's just like any other baby, which is incredible. Amazing, isn't it? When you think of everything you've been through and that start, that six week start for you, just think, goodness, I bet you, I remember sitting in that hospital when we were in there for three weeks and I remember thinking, I cannot wait. Uh, firstly, I thought I would never, we were never going to get out because it just kept being one thing after another. And then, and then I was just thinking, I just can't wait for Christmas. It's our first Christmas. And I just, I just yeah. can't wait to get out of there. And it, it, as time goes on, you think, oh my goodness, I cannot believe what we've just been through. And how are you I doing think, now? I think um, I am doing better. I think it, it, you know, everything is kind of being seen through the prism of COVID. So I don't know what's had a bigger impact on my mental health, um, you know, her heart condition or COVID. Um, uh, you know, obviously you're talking about first Christmas. We 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 thought we were going to have a family Christmas, um, you know, not even big family. You know, literally my mum and my stepdad, and then that obviously got pulled away um, last minute, and that was um, fairly fairly devastating. Um, we're starting to introduce her to people now, and that's odd because you know I you miss that part of being able to show off your beautiful sleepy newborn um and now I'm presenting almost toddler and there's you know obviously everyone's thrilled to see her and see how well she's doing but it's a very different experience um we have been to just about every baby group that I possibly could go to and um, to keep me sane basically and to um you know make sure that she was socializing and um getting out and about um uh, but part of me feels like I've got CHD Tourette's because it feels like uh, as soon as I've met somebody within about five minutes, I'm explaining the, you know, that she's got a heart condition, that she's got a scar on her chest and you know, she had surgery at nine days old. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Um, and I think part of it is just wanting, wanting people to know that, you know, we've gone through something really tough. And even though she looks 
just like any other baby um she isn't in some respects um and I guess I want a reason to justify why I still get anxious um but then I'm fairly anxious at the best of times so I don't know whether that the CHG is, has made it worse um or whether I, I would have been anxious normally um I've been really lucky um I think I've had a lot more support than other mums during this time have had um you know I've got a friend who's had a baby a month before I did and you know she didn't see her health visitor for eight weeks um you know whereas we had regular visits from the health visitor um I had the mental health team checking in with me we had a nursery nurse checking in with me there have been uh, individual counselling um, sessions you know that it's been incredible um and I, I just wish that was the same for every new mum um, going through going through this time and I just don't think it has been really yeah I, I completely agree with you and I, I totally emphasize you as well around um especially when I was pregnant and I knew and you were seeing all these other pregnant people or whether it was on social media or your you know friends and family or just people that you see you know I didn't really see that much of but other people that were announcing their pregnancies and that you did just feel jealous that they were having this fine time and they were excited about the things that you wanted to be excited about but there was such a big black cloud over it that you couldn't be excited about those things because of that fear of the unknown and I, I completely emphasize with you it, that is so hard it's, it's very hard isn't it to get your head around it well I, I didn't feel her kick um until after the 20 weeks again um being a first-time mum you know I think I felt flutters but I didn't really know what they were um and part of me was was dreading um, feeling her move afterwards because we had that eight week window where we didn't know um, for certain what the diagnosis was. And during that eight weeks, I'd feel excited for a second. And then there'd be that crushing reality of, hang on, don't get too excited because there's something wrong. And I, I just wish I could have experienced just a week a week or two of feeling her move and feeling excited about that um and I didn't I didn't I didn't get that um so yeah it's 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 hard seeing other people experience um what we didn't get to experience um we've but you know at the same time you know listening to your podcast and, and seeing the the um, stories on tiny tickers of you know people who've gone through substantially more um challenges with their heart babies and um you know ongoing challenges you know, I, I really can't complain too much and I just wish that that's why I wanted to share um our story was that you know for other mums and, and dads um who have been with this diagnosis you know it's not the end of the world and and um fingers crossed that um your journey is as lucky as ours because you know, we we really wouldn't be able to tell um without my blurting it out to everybody um, that she's a heart baby um and and that is that is something that um, we will always um treasure and always be grateful to the nhs um never really used them before imogen and they just it's been overwhelming you know just thinking of the sheer volume of people that have been involved in her care um and um you know They've just been amazing, really lucky.
Yeah, absolutely. I, I can. It does is that you hear so many stories and you do, you know, and then you look at your own when you're like, yeah, that's, you know, it is hard, but there are other people going through things that are just as hard and that makes you feel for some, some level of comfort, weirdly, some level of comfort um, that you're not alone in this and actually other people um, have experienced what you're experiencing and that makes you feel less alone is, is really what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think the counsellor helped me when she was saying, you know, just because someone's got a broken leg next to you, if you've stubbed your toe, it doesn't mean that your your stubbed toe hurts any less just because someone has yeah. broken their leg. Um, you know, you still feel sorry for the person who's got a broken leg, but you're allowed to feel sorry for yourself that you've got, you know, you've hurt yourself. And, you know, that that's, you know, that, that's helped me to kind of put it into perspective that it's okay to be sad and upset that, you know, we didn't get um, the maternity experience I was expecting, that we didn't have... The healthy baby that we were expecting that we didn't have the you know that that kind of newborn bubble and you know joy of sharing her with other people and and that's okay that's okay to be upset about that and it's still okay to to also be sad for people who have had a, a much worse experience and are having a worse experience you know an, an ongoing um, heart condition so um yeah it, it's just trying to keep it in perspective yeah absolutely um, so I'd like to finish uh, the podcast with two pieces of advice from you to other parents going through something similar, either parents that might have just had a recent diagnosis or who are, you know, in hospital at the moment. Is there any advice that you would like to share? Um, yeah, I think um, joining the Tiny Tickers um, parental group uh, was probably the best uh, decision I made. Um, you know, and you know, hearing other people's stories. Um, you know, there was one other woman that I found online who had a baby who had the same condition as, as Imogen and she was sharing kind of updates and she was about a year on um, from, from the surgery and it just gave me a lot of hope um, that hopefully our story will be able to give to other mums and dads in the same position. Um, and But also for, for, for women, um, don't be afraid to advocate for yourself and what you want. Um, you know, yes, your baby's not very well, and there's a lot of medical decisions that need to be made, but it's still your pregnancy and there are still, you know, choices that you, know, you can question um, and can, um, can ask about. And, you know, if you want to go in a different direction, if you think that's best for you and your baby, um, then that's something to consider. You know, I kind of went with the flow, <laughs> um, you know, as much as I said, I didn't want to. When um, doctors and nurses are saying, you know, we don't want you to have cesarean. Um, we want, you know, we think you should have an ECV and turn the baby around. We want you to have um, an amnio, um, or at least, you know, here is the amnio um, uh, choices. It, it felt quite, it felt like they were wanting me to make um, decisions that I didn't really reflect on um, because it, it appeared to be the best thing for the baby. But thinking back, you know, actually, was I in the right frame of mind to make those decisions? And, you know, had I really weighed out what I wanted versus what they, what they were telling me? Um, so I think, you know, I think just being um, aware of yourself and what you want um, as much as what, what is right for the baby is important um, because you're still the person that's having the baby and that can sometimes get forgotten about. Yeah, um, I agree. And then um, don't forget to take notes <laughs> um, or have notes of questions 
because so many of the the, the, the medical um, appointments I I just didn't understand and taking notes or having a list of pre-prepared questions um, did really help and um, to kind of um, answer some of those questions or at least you know have them say to me again we don't know it depends on this but at least I'd asked the question and um, you know, got some sort of some sort of answer um, uh, so I think that was that was helpful particularly during Covid when you may not be able to have your own half um, in with you now I hope that that's starting to come to an end um, for, for people um, uh, now that uh, we seem to be um, coming out of lockdown again um, and I hope that all gets easier and uh, people going through the same thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, I really hope so. I think Southampton are keeping the same restrictions as are as is at the moment because of mm. the rising cases. And it's kind of understandable, but at the same time, yeah. from a parent in hospital at that time, you are thinking everybody's at the pub and I can't have <laughs> someone else with me. That's quite yeah. a hard thing to come to terms it, with, isn't it, it, I think? It's really hard, particularly when it feels like you know, for the last few weeks of the pregnancy, you know, my husband was working at home um, anyway, and we were going and doing exactly the same things. Um, so, you know, he wasn't any more at risk than I was. Um, you know, we were both doing our best to try and um, you know, keep each other as, as safe as possible and keep the baby safe. Um, so it did feel very difficult Um you know, it felt like they were waiting for my mental health to get to a point where I couldn't take it anymore before they would allow my husband to be on the ward and to see mm. his newborn. And that's not that's not a good position to be in. Having said that, you know, I know that adult patients were not allowed any visitors at all. Um, so I'm, I try and keep it in perspective of at least Imogen, you know, we, we both got to see her it just wasn't always at the same time and you know it was it was difficult you know trying to chop and change between the two of us because we both wanted to be there uh, but at least we were both there in some form versus you know not her not having anybody at all um and you know we, we weren't in a situation like yourself you know having seeing parents with older children you know having to make decisions about going to provide childcare for their older children and leaving you know their babies on on ocean ward or on um, icu um you know that is a really tough thing to deal with at least imogen was our sole focus you know we didn't have anyone else um, to worry about so you know we were just there for her the whole time um yeah uh, it is it's a lot trickier when you're juggling two or three yeah absolutely it, it really is um Hannah thank you so much for being so open and so honest I think people really um sort of feel for, for everything that you've been through but also just be so pleased of how far you've come out the other side and how amazing Imogen is doing I think I just want to personally thank you for being so open and honest I think it's really I know it's a bit emotional a bit emotional for both of us at times um and I just really appreciate that because I think it shows that kind of the reality of what that is like when you are in it, but actually the positives on the other side when you were out of it and, and how life becomes quite normal outside of that, you know, day to day life becomes quite normal. So thank you so yeah. much, Hannah. It's been amazing to speak to you. No, thank you. I'm wishing you amazing, all the best. And, and thank you for doing this podcast. I think um, 
you know, I felt a bit of a fraud because she she isn't technically a heart baby anymore. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what the definition is any, you know, as to, to what you classify her as, but I'm hoping that by sharing our story and showing that, it, you know, it can get better for um, people in her position, um, that, you know, it, it makes other people's pregnancies a little bit lighter than, than mine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more, please click the subscribe button. See you soon.